morning. I am Leslie Rowe, and I am one of the pastors here at DNC. And if this is your first time here, I want to welcome you. Um, we're glad that you've joined us. And if this is your 100th time here, we're glad that you're here. Um, it's always a blessing to have um, you here with us when we worship together. We are wrapping up a, oh, also, I wanted to say, we are missing a lot of people this morning, um, mostly due to spring break. We have a lot of people that work as teachers or in the schools that are on spring break this week and have left to go on a trip. We have a lot of students. <laughs> They're dancing over here, the two teachers. Um, they're very happy that it's spring break, and we're happy for you. Um, so that's why we're kind of light this morning. Um, and so we hope that those people are having a restful, fun time, and will be back to join us next week. So we're wrapping up a series on our values as a church. And so I just want to go over our mission, our vision, and our values before we get started on the sermon today, just kind of as a review. So if you guys will put that slide up. Um, so our mission is to make and mature disciples who love, serve, and share Jesus. Our mission is our purpose. It's what we do right now today. Our vision is to become a place where hearts are turned to God and lives are changed. And our vision is our direction. It's about what we want to become as a church. We want to be a place where people's hearts are turned to God, and because of that, their lives are changed. And then we have our values. Our values are the behaviors that we value above other things. And so it doesn't mean that they're the only ones. It just means that these are the ones that we chose to put the most value on. And those are simple devotion to Jesus. That's our overarching value that everything else falls under. Everything else goes back to simple devotion to Jesus. And then we value deep relationships. We value growing leaders. We value love for God's word. We value warm community. And we value everyday outreach. Forgot the last one, everyday outreach. So do what? Yeah, yeah, forget. <laughs> Y'all would have to be in on that conversation where we named that particular value. Um, Garrett does not like our wording of that value, but Josh and I both embrace it and love it. So those are the things that as a church, we are united and we share a vision for those things and that lets God be our compass and pulls us all in the same direction rather than us being scattered all over the place and so this morning I want to talk about what are some threats to implementing those values in our church what are some threats that keep those values from saturating our community because that's what we're looking for we want those values to just saturate, permeate through our body. So the first one is the inability to call foul and the inability to receive being called, having a foul called on us. So will you guys put that picture up there? 
Okay, so I don't know if you can see this really well, but this is a picture of a foul in basketball. And the guy that is on the back of the other guy is James Harden. And he evidently is notorious for fouls because when I Googled this, he came up in almost every single one of them. But what happens, if you've been at a game or you've ever played basketball, what happens when a foul is called? What's? <laughs> Both teams win? Some, absolutely. People complain. That's the first thing. People get mad when a foul is called. The person who commits the foul jumps up and goes, What? Who? Me? I didn't do anything. This guy on his back is going to go, what? He is literally <laughs> fouling him in so many ways right there. Um, the if, it's, if the foul is called on your team's player, then the crowd boos the ref. Because the crowd likes it when a foul is called against their opponent, but they do not like it when a foul is called on their team. And so they're mad about that. But people also get mad when fouls are not called. When our son Kale was in fourth grade, he was playing basketball and he perceived that he had been fouled and he jumped up and he ran over to the ref and he said, that's a foul, ref! And guess what he got? A technical foul <laughs> for that because you can't get in the ref's face like that. So people get mad when fouls aren't called. Now looking at this picture, who do you think this foul was called on? Yeah, one would think that. But the foul was called on the guy that's on the bottom. The guy whose back he is on got the foul called. And sometimes refs get it wrong. Sometimes they call the wrong foul. But what happens if they quit calling fouls because of that? The game very quickly gets out of hand if refs don't call fouls. See, fouls are there for a reason. In basketball, they're there to protect the players from injury, and they're there to make sure the integrity of the game is honored. Calling fouls in our community is called correcting and rebuking. It's called having hard conversations. It's called wading into conflict. And if we want the values that we've talked about to pervade our church, we have to be willing to have some conflict with one another. Paul instructs us in 2 Timothy 4.2 that we should correct and rebuke with great patience and careful instruction. And I think that's where we get in trouble most often in calling fouls, is we don't do it with great patience and careful instruction. Fouls are to be called with loving hearts. And 1 Corinthians 13.7 tells us that loving hearts always protect. They always do what's good for the other person. They always trust. They always assume the best about the other person. They always hope. They expect God to work in that and do something great. And they always persevere. They never give up. Our motive is never anger or bitterness in calling out fouls. 
That doesn't mean that anger might not be a part of it. Um, I would be pretty angry if I was trying to shoot a basket and a guy jumped on my back like that, but it's not my motive for calling the foul. And we're going to have to be okay with having fouls called on us. It's not just about calling them, calling other people out. It's about being corrected and rebuked ourselves. And not from perfect people. We don't have to be perfect to call a foul. It doesn't feel good to have a foul called on you. Believe me, I know. Paul says that no discipline is pleasant at the time. But guys, if we can't accept being corrected and rebuked, we might as well close the doors right now. Because how are we going to grow? How are we going to change? And how are we going to get better? So what are some fouls that need to be called? This is not an exhaustive list by any means. This is just a few examples. Favoritism, racism, bitterness, talking to everybody but the person that you have an issue with, following culture, not Jesus, exclusiveness or cliques, greed, negative attitudes about the church and about people who don't hold some of the same beliefs that you do. If we let fouls, if we let, if we don't correct and rebuke one another in our body, it's a threat to every single one of our values. The second one is a threat to our values is operating out of any motive other than love. And we see this in Jesus. We see it all throughout his ministry. He corrected and rebuked, and he did it out of love and a desire to see people grow and the knowledge that what he was doing was best for them. Hebrews 10:12 tells us that God disciplines us for our good. We see it in the story of Jesus and the rich man in Mark chapter 10. There's a rich man that comes to Jesus and he says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you need to keep the Ten Commandments. And this man looks at him and says, I've done all those things since the time I was a child. Okay, that's a pretty arrogant statement. <laughs> I've done all of these, like I've been perfect in all of these. But scripture says Jesus looked at him and loved him. Before he said the next words, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And then he said, you need to sell all of your possessions and give them to the poor and come follow me. See, he corrected him out of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8, is such a cliche chapter in our um, society. We've used it in ways that it wasn't meant to be used. But one of the things that it is super good for is helping us evaluate how well we're doing at loving in the way that scripture speaks about love. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, another translation says, go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It, does, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So how are you doing at loving? Were you patient last week? Did you dishonor someone? This is a great way to evaluate what kind of spouse I'm being what kind of friend I'm being, what kind of roommate I'm being, what kind of coworker I'm being. This is what true love looks like. See, we can't just read the word and check it off our list and say we love God's word. We can't just say we have warm community and act friendly to people at our service, but express our dislike for them and talk ugly about them behind their back. We can't just show up to church and not participate. We can't criticize and not be actively involved in trying to build deep relationships. We apply these values out of our love for God and for our church community and for people. And out of the hope that even though we're not perfect, our God is working to transform us together as a body, as a community. Love always hopes and always perseveres. We don't give up. When it gets hard, we don't give up. Romans 15.4 says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and, they encur and the encouragement they provide, we might have Hope. One of the reasons that we love God's word is because it tells us about the past, because it shows us consistently how God works through the scriptures, and it encourages us to have hope that he still works the same way. Hebrews 11 is oftentimes called the Faith Hall of Fame, but faith and hope are very tightly connected. And I'm going to read just a few verses. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around it for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab 
welcomed the spies and was not killed with those who were disobedient. The whole chapter is about those kinds of stories, that kind of faith. And at the end, in verses 39 and 40, it says, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And what that tells me is that verse 41 is being written. By faith, Marquia. By faith, Jolly. By faith, Ryan. By faith, Sterling. By faith, Mateo. By faith, DNC lived a simple devotion to Christ, getting up every day and trying to be his man or woman. By faith, DNC was vulnerable and inclusive and developed deep relationships with all kinds of people, even though it was painful, took time, and took work. By faith, DNC grew leaders who serve and don't seek to be served. Leaders who by the world's standards are unimpressive, but who seek to please God above all else. By faith, DNC was known for everyday outreach, being motivated by Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all nations. By faith, DNC developed a love for God's word and lived out his upside-down kingdom that only the Holy Spirit can empower us to do. By faith, DNC was known for its warm community and was full of expressive worshipers, affectionate people lovers, and interested and invested people. And everything was done in love. That's what's being written right now. We are part of the story. And then the last threat that I see to our values I'm not even sure I named this right. I said fear of failure, but I'm not sure it's not fear of my own weaknesses. Um, I'll let you name it when I'm done talking about it, Um, but I'm not convinced that's the best description. So this week I was, well, first of all, do any of you know what spam bombing is? Okay, I did not know what spam bombing was, Oh, <laughs> no, not the meat, like, like spam on your computer. I'm glad you clarified that. I didn't know what that was until I woke up one morning this week. I woke up one morning this week, and I had about 3,000 emails. And when I saw that, I was like, this, something's got to be wrong here. So I immediately Googled it, because, you know, Google has the answer to everything. I was like, somebody's going to have experienced this before. And that's where I found the word spam bombing. And what it is, is they inundate you with these emails that say, thank you for opening an account with blah, blah, blah. Thank you for your subscription to blah, blah, blah. Thank you for putting in an inquiry. We will get back to you within 24 to 48 hours. Thousands of those. But here's the big catch. You have to go through every single one of them. Because hidden in there somewhere is a real one about something they've done. So hidden in mine 
was they had ordered an iPhone in my name. And so I see um, your order is ready for pickup in California. Your iPhone 13 something pro deal, and it was $1,200. Spam bombing took a lot of my time this week trying to get that all figured out. But in thinking about fear of failure, this is what I feel like a lot of times. I feel like I'm trying so hard and things just keep pouring in and I'm fighting my way out and I'm not able to get to the top. Sometimes it seems like the harder I try, the more I fail. Just like with those spams, the more of them I went through, the more of them came in. I try to understand my friend's deepest hurt, but I wind up hurting her more. I try to have a hard conversation about a hard, uh, open conversation about a hard topic, but I get defensive. I try to help, but I make things worse. I'm doing the best I know how to do, but my best is not good enough. And it's, that's true, guys. Like, it just isn't. It just isn't good enough. And honestly, it makes me want to give up. I can let my fear keep me from trying, or I can do my best. I can trust God to work in my weakness, and I can throw myself on his grace and mercy when it's not enough to do my best. I can choose to believe 2 Corinthians 12, 9, when it says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. How? <laughs> How, God? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's how. Christ's power is how. I can let my failure defeat me, or I can trust the Lord from, my, from the bottom of my heart and not try to figure out everything on my own. I can listen for his voice everywhere I go in everything I do because he's the one who will keep me on track. I can choose to not assume I know it all, and I can run to God and run from evil. I can apologize to the one I hurt and ask for forgiveness and grace and mercy. And when someone else hurts me or lets me down, I can remember that I may be getting their best. And I can extend the same grace and mercy to them that I have been given. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Fear of failure, fear of our weaknesses, whatever that is, will keep us from letting these values permeate our community because we'll become so fearful and so beat down that we won't even try. And we don't have to be that way. We have the victory in Jesus and so we trust him and we move forward trusting he can work through our weaknesses. So those are the three threats that I see to our values. But in closing, I want to ask you to do something. 
take some time. It shouldn't take long. We tried to make the mission and the values and the vision very simple. But take the time to memorize those and think about them and talk about them with each other. But don't just memorize them. Do what James said. Don't just hear the word, but do it. Put them into practice in your life. Hold each other accountable and encourage and spur one another on. So ask yourself, which of our values do, do I need to start with? Which one do I need to work on first? And then simply, what is one thing I can do to grow in this value this week? And then share it with somebody and ask them to share theirs with you and pray for one another. That's the way we're going to start letting these values permeate through our body. And I am not in any way indicating that these values aren't already growing in our body. I see them growing. And it's encouraging, and I'm hopeful that God is going to carry on that work to completion in our body. And I ask that you would be in prayer over our body as we seek to follow God in our mission and our vision and our values. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would complete the good work that you started at DNC. I pray that we would be open to letting you and letting the rest of the body correct and rebuke us for the purpose of honoring you and growing in our relationship with you and with our body. I pray that we would fight against the threats to our community. I pray that we would do everything in love. I pray that we wouldn't let our fear of failure stop us. And I pray that we would be brave and courageous and not expect ourselves to be perfect. I pray, God, that we would look like you and love like you. And I pray that you would enable us to do the work you've called us to. We love you and we thank you for your patience and your mercy with us. And it's in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Um, so a, a few weeks ago, Brittany did a talk about giving, and we wanted to incorporate that into our service every so often. And so just like a communion thought, we wanted to have a giving thought maybe just a couple of times a month. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that this morning. This is super short. Um, but I think it's important for us to think about giving. We don't pass trays anymore. All of that's done online, and so it's easy for that never to be challenged or go unchecked or even think about the reason that we're doing it. Um, and so I just wanted to point you to uh, the widow's offering in the Gospels. Um, Jesus is sitting and watching people put money into the treasury, which I think is interesting. Um, he's wanting to see what is the heart behind their gift. And he points out a widow who puts in two copper coins that amount to literally nothing. Um, they're not going to operate the church off of her gift. 
Um, but what Jesus said was that she gave an extravagant gift, that she gave more than anybody else there because she gave everything she had to live on. And so one of the things that reminds me of is that God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need our money to run DNC. God doesn't need our money to go out into the community. But God wants it for our good and so that he can use it to bless the community. And he calls us to be extravagant givers. And so in thinking through, he calls us to be sacrificial givers, not because he needs it, but because he knows it's what's best for us. He knows that if we love our church community and if we love the community of Denton, that we're going to give any resources that we have to that, whether that's money or time or whatever. And so just thinking through that um, as you think about your giving in different places, you don't have to give just to DNC. Obviously, there's a lot of places to give. Um, and so I would just leave you with that thought and that challenge. Um, you guys have a great day today. Stay and visit for a little bit if you want to. We've got about 45 minutes left in the building. And Josh is going to come up and do announcements. Yes, I knew that. I knew that. sounded like such a good wrap-up. I was like, stay and hang out and everything. I was like, wait a second. We're going to pull the rug out from under them. We're going to prevent them from hanging out a little bit longer. So anyway, um, first I just want to say thank you to the worship team. That team has kind of grown this year. We've seen that changing faces up here, but also Garvin and Josh have been leading that for this whole year so far and last semester as well. So just thank you guys. That's been awesome. Uh, I've been really blessed by worship. So I want to start off with an apology. Some of you guys already know about this, but this past week, a graphic for a fundraiser was shared online and also in person, and it hurt some folks in our community. And first, we just want to say, we're really sorry. Uh, our churches would never intentionally post something that's insensitive or hurtful, but it happened. And so uh, we're going to do our best to prevent mistakes like this in the future, and we don't want to hurt people in our community. That's like never our desire. So we really love you guys, and we, uh, we take your perspective seriously and calling fouls and that kind of stuff very seriously. And thanks for showing grace and patience to us uh, as we navigate tough stuff and train and blind spots like that together. So thank you. We really love you guys. Um, the next thing is, right off the heels of that, Spring Hida, um, the fundraiser uh, that is to help send teens to camp. A lot of teens that go to camp from our other churches don't have the ability to pay for it or the parents don't, or whatever. So that's the whole reason that Spring Heat has existed for a long time, is to help teens go to camp and have an experience with their friends where they can worship God and enjoy time together and grow together. So there's the details there behind me. But the thing you need to know is to register for it, go to springheeta.com, and there's the dates and stuff. There's a silent auction that's happening kind of for like a day and a half or something like that. And there's the actual event where there's like fun and, and dinner and then a live auction and stuff like that. But the important thing to note is just that it goes to helping the teens at our other family of churches, we don't really have teens here as much, but teens at our other family of churches be able to go to camp, and there's a chance for you to win cool stuff and have cool experiences and stuff. So that makes sense? Sweet. Cool. I feel like there's like a lot of years that I was hearing about Spring Hida, and I kind of just knew what the event was, but didn't always know what it was uh, benefiting. I even asked Garrett before I came up here, I was like, wait, is it, is it just teens? Or is it the kids camp too? Like, I just can't really, I don't remember. So anyway, that's what it's for, all right? Um, the next thing is the Spark um, Young Professionals Conference. 
And so we've, we've shouted this out a few times, but now registration is open and they need people to register. So go to dentonnorthchurch.com slash spark to register for that. It is for anyone who is either not a student or about to not be a student. Um, we've sometimes said an age range. That's not that helpful. We really want to try. This, this conference is intended to help people at a specific stage of life, and the age range can change for that. So if you're trying to work soon or you're already working and in that time of your life, this conference is for you. Learning how to navigate the balance of work and loving people in your workplaces and this stage of life that we're in. So anywhere from like 20 to like 35, this could be you. And there's going to be different topics and breakout sessions and stuff um, that will pertain to different people's interests and things that matter to you. So um, it's hard to really pitch and sell a conference that's this broad, but people are putting a lot of time and energy into making something really worth your time. And so please check it out. Please register. Uh, make this a priority. It'll be really beneficial to you. So, yeah, there we go. Yes. <laughs> so yeah anyway um don't let that deter you you know i'm just kidding <laughs> don't be afraid um what that is at dentonnorthchurch.com slash spark slash um and the last thing is that you've heard us talk about this we have an instagram now so woo if you're on instagram go follow it. if you're not don't worry about it we're not trying to get you to be on Instagram for just us. But if you're already there, it'll be a place where you can see stuff that's happening in your community where you're already spending too much of your time anyway. So why don't where you spend too much time, let us have a little bit of that by sneaking into your feed a little bit, okay? So follow us at Denton North Church. And that is all the announcements I have. So now we can move on to hanging, talking, stacking chairs, etc. And thanks for giving me your attention. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.